better not come up here without my Bible. (laughs) Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. For the next couple of weeks, we are going to be looking at this last interaction between Jesus and Peter that we read in the Gospel of John. And sometimes when preachers come across this text... They tend to focus on Peter. They focus on his unique calling to ministry. Sometimes they might preach a sermon about the roles and the office of a pastor. Uh, But last Sunday, when we met with the table uh, last Sunday evening, I had the chance to preach from one of Peter's letters. And in that letter, he's writing to the church, and he says to all the people in the church, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So in other words, Peter, writing to the church, is very clear that we're all called into ministry. Amen? In the new covenant, God's people, every single one of us, we have a place in the priesthood. We are the ones who are told to go out into the world and to share the the good news, to declare the praises, to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So in this moment that we just read, Jesus charges Peter with a part in that mission. And as we look at the details of this interaction, what we're going to see is that while Peter, yes, he has a special role in founding the church, this account of his restoration and his call into ministry, it shows us that Christ, that Jesus has a role for every one of us. He has a role for you to play in his ministry and in his kingdom. He has a role for you, especially you. And so today, I want us to see three things in this text. I want us to see first that our ministry begins with repentance. Our ministry begins 
with repentance. Secondly, I want us to see that our ministry becomes powerful through weakness. And finally, that our ministry requires death. Our ministry, it begins with repentance. Um, Everybody, I think, everybody who reads the Bible, we love Peter, right? Peter is easy to relate to. Peter is full of passion. He's full of excitement. He's a little bit impulsive. Sometimes he flat out falls on his face and messes everything up. And and I think that's what we like about him. Because in spite of all that, God made him one of the most influential leaders of the early church. Peter led the way in preaching the gospel and establishing this faith that we're all a part of today. And because of that, knowing Peter's character and his personality, you can only imagine what this interaction with Jesus must have been like for him that day. Last week, Robert preached an awesome sermon. If you haven't listened to it, you should go back. You can find those online. Hear what he said about this moment when Jesus first, the resurrected Jesus showed up to Peter and the others standing on the shoreline while they were in the boat. And we read that Peter was so excited to see Jesus that he jumped in the water and swam to him before the boat could even get to the dock. So it was obvious from the beginning of this scene where Peter's heart is. We know how he feels about Jesus. But now, where we're reading this morning, this is the moment after they've all gathered up on the shore, after they've had a chance to eat together. And now Jesus takes a moment to look at Peter and to talk to him face to face. And I'm sure a lot of you already know the context of this conversation. Just a few days earlier... When Jesus was being crucified, when he was on trial, Peter had abandoned Jesus in the moment of his greatest need. And not just abandoned him, but we read about it. He adamantly denied that he even knew who he was. All the gospel writers tell us a little bit about this, but but I think Luke's description is the most vivid for me. It says that right after Peter had denied him for the third time, It says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter went out and wept bitterly in that moment. In the moment of testing, in the the moment of truth, Peter had failed. He had failed miserably. He had done the worst you could possibly do, and he knew it. And to add on top of that shame, he was always the the kind of arrogant one about it, about his faith. Of all the disciples, he was the one who who would kind of put himself out above the rest of them. And in Matthew chapter 26, he says, uh, when Peter is... When Jesus is predicting Peter's denial, Peter says, even if everybody else falls away on account of you, I never will. And then later he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And it says all the others said the same. And so you have to think, in this moment, Jesus 
finally looking right at him, addressing him directly. This had to be a tense moment. Have you ever been in a situation like this? You're maybe in a group of people, but you know there's someone there and you need to have a conversation. There's something important that you need to talk about, but it's just not the right setting. It's not the right place. There's that awkwardness there. There's that weightiness until you finally get a moment to go aside and and talk about the things you really need to talk about. And this is that moment. They're finally face to face. So what is it that Jesus is going to say to him? How is Jesus going to react to what Peter has done? Well, verse 15, it starts off. he, He looks at him and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There's a couple of things I want us to observe about this interaction. First of all, I want you to notice that Jesus does not minimize or avoid the issue of Peter's denial. This question, do you love me more than these, it is not a pat on the back. It's not one of those, hey, water under the bridge. Don't worry about it. It's it's not a big deal. Peter has to confront his sin. That's likely what the first question is all about. When Jesus says, do you love me more than these? He's asking, do you love me more than all these other people that are here? Just like you said a while back, do you really love me more than them? That, you know, when you said that even if they denied me, you would follow. That you would go to death with me. Do you really love me more than them like you claimed to do? And he says... Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then Jesus asks him again. And then Jesus asks him again. Now, it used to be really common, if you've heard pastors preach on this before, uh, a lot of times pastors have dug in on some of these Greek words, uh, the different uses of the word love, Uh, agape or phileo, and they've tried to to, to find some different meanings behind the choice of words, but as I've studied about it and researched about it, it seems like most scholars today would agree there's not any obvious difference behind the meaning of these words, love. In fact, John, throughout his gospel in the Greek, uses all kinds of synonyms just to be creative as he's writing. Even in this passage, he uses synonyms for lamb, for sheep, for feeding, for tending. The point of the emphasis is not some hidden meaning that we can't find behind these Greek words. Actually, the the point is the repetition. Why does Peter ask, why does Jesus ask Peter the same question three times? You already know why. And so does he. It's because he denied him three times. And that's why by the third repetition, it says Peter's heart is grieved. Peter is facing the hard reality of his failure. Peter is facing his sin. 
It hurts. It's painful. And folks, this is something that has to be true for every one of us. That is something that is unavoidable and a necessary step in every one of our lives when we encounter the living Christ. There is always a moment when Jesus forces us to look into the depths of our sin. There's always a moment when he forces us to recognize that our own actions have brought us to a place where we are separated from God. And then we have to grieve it. I had a man once tell me that that moment took place for him of all times when he was watching a YouTube video. For whatever reason, he had gotten interested in learning about World War II. This guy was probably in his early 20s at the time. And he was watching these, this documentary footage and learning about these horrible evils and atrocities that took place during that time. And he said, unexpectedly, as he watched that footage, I think the way he put it was, it was like a waterfall that poured over him. And God opened his eyes to see that he was no different from any of the men in that footage. That while their, their things seem much more obvious, his life was just as far from God. <laughs> and he started to weep in front of his computer. We all have to have that moment wherever it happens, however it takes place. We have to have that moment where we see the true state of our hearts. Where we see the depths of our sin. Because without it, we cannot understand what kind of salvation Jesus is offering. We cannot understand the depth of God's grace. We cannot understand the reaches of God's mercy in our lives. And so here, in this interaction, Jesus, he doesn't minimize it. He doesn't make excuses for him. He doesn't brush it off. He doesn't pretend like it never happened. But instead, he allows Peter to feel it and to face it. But then secondly, let's see how Peter responds. Peter is truly repentant in the moment. Each time Jesus asks a question, Peter's response is the same. Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. So Jesus doesn't minimize Peter's sin, but Peter doesn't do it either. He doesn't respond by saying, but you saw how much pressure there was. You know I love you. You saw how much pressure there was. The second time he says, I already said I'm sorry. You can lay off. No, he's not defensive. He doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't try to shift the blame. He doesn't try to, to get out of it sometime, even though he is hurting under those accusations. If anybody's ever brought up your sin to your face, you know that's a hard thing to do. But instead, Peter, he makes a very profound and simple statement. He says, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter shows us his faith in that response. Did you notice that? You know all things. He shows us that he fully recognizes who Jesus is. 
Jesus knows all things. He knows Peter's heart already. And do you know that's the truth even today? Do you know that's the truth right now, that Jesus knows all things? That he knows your heart right now? That he sees you at this very moment in your life? Do you realize that right now, that same Jesus is still alive, and he is calling you to this same kind of faith in him? When we read this story, John wants us to consider the same questions that Jesus asks Peter. He wants you to consider that question. He wants you to hear Jesus asking you, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's response to that question, it's a model for every one of us. It is devoid of any self-righteousness. He knows that he has nothing to offer Jesus when he asks that question. He knows he has messed everything up. He knows he doesn't have a leg to stand on. But instead, just like that, that old hymn says, he comes to him just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. And that you bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God. So that's the first point. This is the kind of person that Jesus uses in ministry. It's the person who sees their sin. The person who lays it out before the Lord in repentant faith, in complete dependence on his mercy. Our ministry always begins with repentance. And the second thing we see here is that our ministry, it begins with repentance, but it becomes powerful through weakness. Weakness is strength for the people who follow Christ. Do you know that? Weakness is strength for the people who follow Christ. Many of you know that before coming to Center, I planted and, and pastored a church in Boston, Massachusetts for a while. And you may not know that when I set out to do that, I was 28 years old. And at that time, my, my heart was in the right place. Here's the big reveal. I, I, I don't know how I feel about the haircut or the shave, but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> I was 28 years old. And I thought that my heart was in the right place. My, my theology was on point. But I can also tell you, at 28 years old, I thought I was a lot more ready <laughs> than I really was. And our ministry over those years in Boston, it was a slog sometimes. We went through a lot of ups and downs. And over the years, through that experience, God forced me to come face to face with some of my weaknesses, many of my weaknesses, and not just once, but over and over and over, kind of like we see in this passage. He forced me to see my need for him above all else. And I'm grateful for that, but I won't, I'm not going to lie, it was often miserable. <laughs> but I can tell you today that, that I am certain the very worst thing that could have happened to me 
is if I had been like some of those other guys my age who went out in their 20s and started a church and instantly became a big celebrity pastor with 20,000 people hanging on their every word. If, if that had happened to me, you know, bless those guys that the Lord let it happen to them. But I know that if that had happened to me, I wouldn't have made it. That would have been a disaster for my own heart because I needed God to show me my weaknesses so that I could minister effectively. And Peter, Peter's the ultimate model of that for us. Do you remember when Peter first professed his faith in the Gospel of Matthew? That great moment, that theological moment where Peter looks at Jesus and he says that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, responding to his faith, says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, right, in the Greek. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus told him, you're, you're, a, you're going to be a powerful and effective minister of the word. But that kind of fruitful ministry that Jesus foretold would have never happened if it weren't for this moment. Before Peter could become that powerful leader, he had to see his weakness. I mean, can you imagine Knowing what we know about Peter, can you imagine what kind of leader he would have been without this moment? No, Peter had to have this happen. He had to come to the end of himself. He had to be stripped of his pride. He had to realize that all these things that Jesus said were, that he was going to do, that it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. And notice, that is exactly the question Jesus asks him. He says, do you love me? Not, hey, do you like being one of the 12? Not, hey, do you like being in my inner circle? Not, hey, do you love ministry? You know, he doesn't even ask him, do you love the sheep? He says, do you love me? Do you love me above all things? Do you love me more than your status? Do you love me more than your dreams and your hopes and your aspirations for the future? Do you love me? And in the moment, he can honestly answer yes. Because he has seen his own weakness. He has reached his own limits. He knows that he doesn't really have all that much to offer people apart from Jesus. And if we don't come to that exact same revelation, we are all in big trouble. If we don't get to that same point where we realize it's not about Logan, it's not about Robert, it's not about the elders, and it's not about you, or you, or you, or you. It's not about me. It can't be about us, because we're all too weak. But thanks be to God, it's not. 
thanks be to God, it is not about any of us. It is all about Jesus. And the amazing thing is that in this cross-shaped kingdom that Jesus has come to build, this kingdom where the way to win is by losing, the way to conquer is through dying, it means that when we come face to face with our weakness, that is where he meets us with his strength instead of our own. It's like that famous passage from Paul, right? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. Peter knew his weakness. That's why here, in this moment, Jesus finally gives him the charge. He says, feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. His weakness has finally prepared him. He's ready. And it's the same for you. God has called each and every one of you in the same way to be ministers for him and for his glory. Not because of your greatness, but because of his. And the more you let that in, the more you allow him to show you your weakness, the more you're willing to lay down your pride and your arrogance and your confidence, the more we can lay those things down, the greater we will see Christ's power at work in us. Our ministry, it becomes powerful through weakness. But that's not all. The third thing we see here is that our ministry requires death. Now, again, I'll say, Peter's call to be an apostle was unique. Peter was the man who preached at Pentecost. He wrote a couple of books of the Bible. He was a significant leader in establishing the early church. And so I don't want you to mistake it here. We don't all get Peter's call. <laughs> but all of us, we are called to the task of ministry. And it is a glorious calling, but it's a difficult calling. The picture Jesus uses is of sheep. And sheep are animals that require a lot of care. They need guidance. They need someone who's going to provide for them, who's going to protect them. They're animals that are helpless on their own. <laughs> she said that. And here's another part of that reality. Sheep are also inconvenient sometimes. They can be a lot of work. And if you become engaged in ministry to other people, if you become engaged in the process of leading people to Jesus, if you get involved in the lives of the people around you, well, you're going to find that it sometimes really is inconvenient. That it requires sacrifice. 
Sometimes you're going to have plans for your day, and they're going to get ruined by a sheep that's wandered off. You're going to have to spend a few hours on the phone counseling somebody. You might have to go drive to the tough side of town and pick somebody up. And I, I worry that most of the time when we read this passage, we get so caught up thinking about Peter as the shepherd that Jesus is calling, uh, we miss that image that each of us has a role to play. We all have a role in shepherding the sheep. I hope you realize our culture has changed a lot in the last few decades. And when we think about the sheep that are in this community, the people that Jesus is calling us to feed, well, they're different than the sheep who were here 50 years ago. Today's population, you know, they have not grown up in church. The average person today does not know the stories in the Bible. I was just talking to someone the other day who was saying, oh, I'm trying to take my boyfriend to church, but, but every church they go to, they keep talking about Moses and Abraham, and, and he just doesn't know who those people are. These people, they have never heard the old hymns. They've never heard any hymns. And so when Jesus calls us to feed his sheep, we really got to ask, how do we do that? What is he asking us to do? In my home, I still have two very picky eaters. And each week when we get ready and we try to figure out what we're going to eat at home, we have to make a plan for the whole family, right? we got to plan our dinners with the picky ones in mind. And so when Melissa and I decide we're going to go make that slow cooker Thai peanut chicken, we also have to do that knowing some people aren't going to eat it. we got to have that frozen chicken nugget back up. <laughs> we got to have the, the peanut butter and jelly ready on hand. In our calling to feed the sheep, we have to be careful that we aren't just feeding ourselves the things we like and letting the little ones starve. Are we saying to this world, well, if you don't like it the way we like it, you don't eat. I think what I, I want everyone to see here is that God calls the mature followers to feed the lamb. To take that nourishing truth of the gospel, those unchanging truths, those things that people need to survive and to prepare it for them. So that they can receive it. So that they can be nourished. So that they can become strong. And I know some of you, you might be sitting in your seats and saying, I don't know if I like the sound of that. I'm not quite sure what pastor is trying to say right now. But, but it seems like he might be saying that if I'm going to feed the lambs, I might have to give up something I like. I might have to give up some of my preferences. Sounds like he might be saying, I might have to make some changes that make me uncomfortable. It's much worse than that. <laughs> In fact, what Jesus is saying, what he says to Peter 
And what he says to all of us is that you have to give up not just your preferences, but you have to give up your literal life for this mission. For the sake of my sheep, he says to Peter, you will end up dying so that they can know how much I love them. Now, Jesus is probably not calling you literally to die. But I want you to hear me say, if we are going to follow Jesus into this next phase of mission that he is calling us to as a church, there are going to be times when it feels like dying. There will be times when it is really hard, where we would rather not follow. Because the call to feed the sheep is that same call that Jesus always gives. It is the call to take up your cross and follow him. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to be able to do that? Well, here's the good news. We can do it because he's already done it for us. The reason why we can follow Peter and we can stretch out our hands and let our lives be nailed down for the gospel is because Jesus has literally stretched out his hands and laid down his life for you. He has spared nothing for you. He has seen you at your worst and he has looked you in the eyes and he has redeemed you from the pit. And now, like Peter, he's restored you, and he's lifted you up, and he is calling you to follow him into ministry. He says to you this morning, feed my sheep. Father, we pray for your spirit. Lord, you have been so faithful to this church that for 255 plus years, there has been a person proclaiming the gospel. There have been a people gathered to hear it. You have changed lives and redeemed them and restored them. And for your glory, you have allowed us to remain. But Lord, I pray that you would empower us for this next phase. God, I pray that you would give us the gift that you gave Peter. The gift of seeing our sin. The gift of repenting of it. The gift of, of recognizing that you are the only one who can do it, not us. And then, Lord, equip us. Give us the food to feed them. Give us your power and your spirit. Do something that we could not possibly do because we are too weak. We ask it in the powerful and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.